Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast by Georgia Organics. I'm Mary Elizabeth, Georgia Organics Communications Director. On this week's episode, special guest host, farmer Joe Reynolds of Love is Love Farm, is talking to the legendary Haleen Green, the Garden Queen. Joe is hosting a forthcoming gardening workshop here with Georgia Organics. More details in just a second. After that, I spoke to Aaron Kroom and Chef Asata of Small Bites Adventure Club. We spoke about their work educating children and their teachers and parents about good food and Georgia farmers. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you enjoy the show. First up, Joe Reynolds, farmer of Love is Love Farm at Gaia Gardens and former Georgia Organics Board President, joins us as a guest host to talk to dear farming friend and gardening expert, Haleen Green, who's known around the state as the Garden Queen, and for good reason. Haleen is a pioneer of urban agriculture, and today she's sharing her knowledge and entrepreneurship in this great conversation. Coming up, we've got a Good Food for Thought virtual event with farmer Joe Reynolds. On Sunday, March 14th at noon, Joe, along with special guests, will be hosting Spring Forward, planning and prepping your summer garden. You can learn more about this event and register at our Good Food for Thought website, gfft.georgiaorganics.org. This event is free for Georgia Organics members and is sure to be the best start you can have to the new season. Enjoy the conversation today between Joe Reynolds and Haleen Green. Greetings, everyone. My name's Joe Reynolds. Uh, I'm a farmer at Love is Love Farm at Gaia Gardens in Decatur, Georgia, uh, in the metro area of Atlanta. And uh, I am excited to be a guest host today on the Atlanta Foodcast with one of my favorite farmers here in Atlanta, Miss Haleen Green, the Garden Queen. Uh, I first met Miss Haleen when we did a food fellowship with a, a nonprofit organization here in Atlanta called Center for Civic Innovation. Um, and it was, a, it was a several week cohort. And um, immediately upon meeting Miss Haleen, it was clear to me that not only was she an incredible farmer, um, but she is a phenomenal storyteller um, and she is a very natural entrepreneur, um, as I think you'll sort of pick up from, uh, from our conversation today. Miss Aileen currently has three farms in Atlanta, uh, and she just moved, had to move her uh, farm, the Garden Queen West End Community Urban Garden and Nursery, uh, over, to, uh, over to the Pittsburgh community. Um, and... Uh, and she has been doing a tremendous amount of work there to get uh, the farm stood up. And um, uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but, but Miss Haleen, t- tell me, tell me, tell, tell us about what's going on with the new farm. Well, hi everyone. This is Haleen Green, the garden queen. Happy to be with my best friend and partner in the farm world, Mr. Joe Reynolds. How are you this morning? I'm really well. I'm really glad to be talking to you. Thank Um, you. Me too. So, I have gotten, I think, this year the best prize for 2021 and that is a nice flat public fenced gated garden property on University Avenue in the Pittsburgh community of which I also have a suite my studio 115 in the Pittsburgh yard complex of the near building. That's where I will be doing my building when it's raining or too wet outside. And it's a worker space that I could also sell my juices from when I grow it and brew it and I'll sell it 
and it's in the cooler for everyone to see, or I should say they will be because it's going to be more than one uh, brand of juices that will be in there. So I am happy to announce that I signed a lease with the Annie E. Casey Foundation for the property 352 University Avenue. It's a little less than the three quarter acre of land and it's flat and in the public eye, everyone could see it very close to Metropolitan Avenue. It has become the number one largest container garden in Atlanta, possibly in Georgia, but I'll just claim the metropolitan Atlanta. I have already set up over 3,000 pots, large pots of every description on the property. We will be planting and taking it from a seed to the table and beyond. We are going to specialize in tropical fruits, vegetables, seasonings, nuts, spices of every description. If it's edible and if it grows, it's gonna be there. We're gonna have storage containers and we're gonna have a small hoop house so that we can grow all year round. It's going to be a temperature control hoop house. So in the winter, I will still be able to do my seedlings and not have to worry about it being too cold. It is open to the public and especially to the community. It's a, <clears throat> it's a community garden. I will be having pots and raised beds for adoption. And I just coined the phrase, adopt a pot. <laughs> <laughs> so you can adopt a pot or you can adopt a plot, whatever size that you want. If you have money, you can give a donation. If you don't, you can volunteer your time and you can have a pot. So whatever agreement that we come to, do not be afraid to come and hang out get rid of your stress, get rid of your depression, and come to the West End Community Urban Garden in the Pittsburgh Yard community, Pittsburgh area. I will teach you how to grow. Miss Aileen, so um, what an incredible opportunity um, and, uh, and, uh, an exceptional, an exceptional work and vision. Um, I, I, I think you're also going to be doing gardening workshops as well. Is that correct? We will be doing gardening workshops. We will be bridging the gap between the seniors and the youth. If no one knows what bridging the gap is going to be, the seniors can teach a lot of things, including gardening, and the youth can teach us a lot of things about technical support and computers. And they need to learn how to garden. They need to know how to work with the senior citizens and we can bridge the gap and it's going to be garden therapy. Yes, we will have garden therapy and I will teach you how to grow your healthy seeds 
in healthy soil so that we can produce healthy food. Miss Haleen, you are such, uh, you're the expert on growing tropical crops here in Georgia, um, particularly up here in Atlanta. Um, you grow Jamaican sorrel, hibiscus, ginger, turmeric, tropical pumpkin, lemongrass, so many other things, spices um, that you described. And, uh, and, you know, the while we are very warm here in Georgia, um, we're not entirely tropical. Can, can you give can you give some advice on, you know, what's where someone might find information on growing tropical crops here um, or, you know, best practices that they might want to consider? Well, before there was a Google, it was just trial and error. I had to go to the dictionary. I had to go to the library and I had to go to the books. Now the young ones have it so easy. Hit a button and ask Google what grows, how long it takes from a seed to fruit, how you mix things, what when you need to start them. And I am happy before I started. It's I would say maybe it's only about 15 or so years, maybe 20, that I knew anything about a greenhouse. I am not from here, so therefore I didn't know that you could, you know, I mean, I plant in containers, but I was wondering what I would do when the winter comes. That's one of the reasons why I turned to container gardening, because I found out that there are a lot of things. I grew a mango tree in my house for over five years in a pot. I would love for it to fruit, but you need to have more than one and it needs to be in the ground to start fruiting. But if I had had a property for over 20 years and I had the greenhouse set up on that property and I planted a couple of mango seeds, I could get mangoes to grow here in Georgia in my greenhouse. I grew one root of banana that ended up suckering and I had over 450 roots of banana. I did not know that bananas would survive the winter. It's just a trial and error. I planted the banana in a pot. It busted the pot and went into the ground. I left it there until it totally destroyed the pot. <laughs> started bearing young bananas. So the winter came and I said, well, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna surround it with wood chips and banana leaves and so on. And I'm gonna cut it down and I'm gonna see what happened to the root. That banana could not even wait for the spring to come. <laughs> Well, as soon as a little sun would come out at the end of February into March, the banana started shooting again. And banana is not a tree. In Jamaica, we know banana to be called a sucker <laughs> because banana is barky and full of water. And so it is not firm. It doesn't have a limb. It just grow from a root and it just goes up. And I had several banana trees that measured over 20 feet going to reach the sky. And that banana from one banana over the winter could coming up into the spring could produce up to 10 suckers, 10 roots of banana. And you can cut the banana away from its root and plant the suckers 
and they grow more bananas. And the good thing about them, they bear. Everything that I grow, even flowering plant, is edible. I am into edible foods and vegetables. Well, I, I, I've read, I know that it's, it's pretty famous that like your, uh, your, your story of having visited Atlanta and seeing the amazing um, tree canopy uh, that we have here. I know um, uh, fellow farmer Rashid Nuri also yes. calls, you know, Atlanta a, a city within a forest. Um, yes. And, uh, and then I, I think what, what I remember from the story is that, you know, you, you were living in New York, uh, you know, your family had moved there from Jamaica and that you uh, saw all the lush greenery around Atlanta um, and thought that the, and, and, and th thought that it looked something like your, your home in, in Jamaica in that um, there would be a, a giant edible forest, but, but you didn't find, but those trees uh, didn't turn out to be necessarily fruiting trees. And so now it's your mission to, uh, right. to make sure that Atlanta is covered in edible trees, plants, flowers, delicious things you can eat. That's right. So I had plans to change that and I started out and it worked. On the property, the other property, the second property, but the first one I did it as well before I had to move. So I planted Asian pears, I plant hibiscus, I planted ginger, just like you, you mentioned, and turmeric, and the pumpkin just goes wild. And it can be run on a fence line if you don't have acreage and you have a fence, put the pumpkin in a pot and lead it to the fence. It will grow and it will produce. A pumpkin just needs one main source, the root. It will spread its wing all over, just like the cucumbers and the butternut squash. So pumpkins is just another large squash. That's what it is. It's, it, it, it just runs on a vine. And the hibiscus, well, I started early on the inside because I found out that it needs several months before it comes to reaping. It's normally reaped in October if it doesn't get cold. And if we plant early, like maybe starting in this month, March coming up, and we start our seedlings on the inside, you have to have a large basement or a large greenhouse or several greenhouses if you plan to farm hibiscus. So you don't have to lose your seeds when October comes. You want to be able to have matured buds. So when you're going to reap your hibiscus sorrel, you're going to have a lot, not, not a lot of bush. Even though I just found out about 10 years ago from the source of where hibiscus comes from Africa, you think you have had something healthy from the hibiscus buds, but the root, the bark, the stems, the limbs, and the leaves, the entire hibiscus sorrel plant is good for food and good and nourishing for you. That's hibiscus. Yeah. Well, well, speaking about the uh, about hibiscus and and Jamaican swirl, or and you know, I've been to Mexico and Central America, and they call <clears throat> that same plant Jamaica. Uh, but then in Southeast Asia, it's a it's a it's also called Roselle. Um, it uh, you know, for for me, I find it 
so incredible how, you know, this delicious, healthy food has traveled around the world and, and the seeds, um, you know, have been, you know, not only moved around, but shared, you know, across generations and adapted to, you know, the places, the places that they found themselves. Um, and, uh, and that your, your Jamaican sorrel ginger tea is one of my favorite things in the whole wide world, um, uh, to, uh, to drink, not only because, uh, it's delicious, but I can just taste, you know, and feel how incredibly healthy it is. It's, um, and it's just one of the many teas that you make, um, that you, you know, under your, your brand that you call heal teas. Um, I think you've spoken to how, um, you know, like your advocacy for health, but can you, can you just dig a little deeper and tell me what, what, especially right now, you know, with, you know, you know, the, with, Maybe in the like, I think about you know the context of you know the pandemic and mm -hmm. and you know and I I think that people are in particular right now are thinking a lot about how um, about their health uh, and how to keep their family healthy. So why did you call why did you why did you call your teas heal teas? Well, T E A Z so as not to have any kind of conflict with the department <laughs> that bees. I don't have to get in trouble because I am not claiming that I heal anybody. You just have to see it work for yourself. <laughs> I can give you a short story. Bobby D. Winter. Many years ago, maybe about 12 or 15, I was invited to set up my tent on the front porch of Whole Foods, right on Ponce de Leon in Midtown. And I was selling my hibiscus teas, cold drinks, Bobby D. Winter, who started Foodwell Alliance, just a stranger passing by, going into Whole Foods, and I introduced her to my hibiscus tea. She happened to purchase a bottle, or two maybe. Bobby had been suffering with a gum problem, pain for years, of which her dentist told her, she he think that she was going to have to live with that pain because apparently it's a nerve of some sort. Well, to cut the story short, Bobby went home and drank the hibiscus tea. A day later, she realized her pain was gone. She continued drinking the tea and realized she had no more pain in her jaw. She came back to hunt me down <laughs> to tell me that my hibiscus tea healed her pain and it was just a miracle. And she said, I am going to be getting ready to start a program, Food Well Alliance. And I am going to make sure that you are set up to produce your teas. Since that time, that was one of the public uh, recommendation that I have gotten, uh, or commentation. I have had several, the ginger, the ginger is a powerful medicine. I'm not claiming to be a doctor. I am just claiming to be a bushwoman, just like my grandmother and my great grandmother. We grow up on herbal teas. 
and that is the proper name. They're herbs. They're all herbs, but in the islands, we just call them bush. I want to first let you know they have the hibiscus sorrel seed originated, however it did, in Africa. In leaving, you know, we were all brought here on ships or somewhere brought not to the U.S., some parts of the U.S., like down in um, Gichigala Islands along the sea coast. And I ended up in the Caribbean Sea, which is the West Indies. Well, the seeds traveled from Africa, the motherland, and one of the main places that hibiscus sorrel grow that is known as Bismarck, they call it over there. Bismarck, in every country, and there are so many countries in Africa, there's another name for it in their language. But in Jamaica and in the islands, we call it sorrel. And not to be mixed up with an American vegetable that I got to realize that is also called sorrel that has kind of a uh, tarty taste like the, the leaves of the hibiscus. It traveled from Jamaica and then we're very close to Mexico. And that is where that Jamaica name comes from because Mexico came and got the seeds from Jamaica and found out that they had the climate to, be, to grow hibiscus sorrel in abundance as well over there. So it is very popular over in Mexico, but apparently they don't know about, well, they know, but maybe that's not their style. They do not put ginger in it. It's just a sweet red drink for them. Okay, we have to always add something. You know, we are in Jamaica, we are always experimenting just like I do here um, to see what happens. And what happened is that the ginger, along with all the other spices that are my secret ingredients, uh, does very well. It is much liked in Atlanta hibiscus sorrel. And so there I go. Jamaica used it as a holiday drink. It, it is reaped in the, in the fall and winter, wherever it is. That's the time of year that it comes in, October, November, December. And so it is used with wine and Jamaica rum as our cocktail with Jamaica black cake, fruit cake, rum cake. And, you know, during that period of time, we have a long holiday. So everybody's high up on rum and wine and we don't have to worry about having to go to work. So you could eat, drink and sleep. <laughs> so, I said, you know, if I'm going to be growing all this amount of hibiscus and it's good for you, not necessarily with the rum or the wine, you know, that's just for recreation. Why not have this thing all year round? So I started drying, dehydrating my hibiscus sorrel so that I can have it all year round. And thus, hibiscus sorrel became very popular in Atlanta. Uh, I am going to claim it that I'm the one that made it famous in Atlanta to be drunk all year round. <laughs> and I'm sure that I can't get in trouble for that because I grow it and I make it and I have it all year round. And we are so grateful. Um, our, uh, this past year, we offered <clears throat> several of your teas as like, a, an, a, a, like an additional purchase to our CSA members. Um, we got some of the Jamaican sorrel ginger, some soursop, and some lemongrass tea. And our, uh, I mean, our ginger CSA beer. members think it's incredible. 
Um, and, uh, and they definitely, um, I, I, you know, I think they could taste um, how much you put into the, the creation of, of those healthy drinks. Um, Miss Aileen, I, we're, we're coming to the close of our, our, our conversation, but I wanted to make sure that we mentioned some of the markets that you're selling at. So I will be going throughout the West End. We have markets right on uh, Ralph David Abernathy in the park, White Street and the Beltline, right on the Beltline. Markets normally start out in May. So we will have our markets there. We look further uh, to announce uh, the dates that the markets will be. We're going to have markets in the Pittsburgh Yard complex as well. I am going to be setting up a CSA and at the garden, and I will have sales from the garden, but we won't have a farmer's market at the garden because we're going to have it down in Pittsburgh Yard complex. Uh, these days, I'm not going to be able to do so much markets. I'm going to be having an online market. We're going to go e-commerce because it takes a lot of time. And um, if I'm going to be teaching you how to grow this thing, to brew this thing and to sell this thing, I have to be divided up. And so we will have equal portions. So you'll be able to get your hibiscus tea from the garden because I will have a cooler there and um i was talking to lobby the other day which is going to be having a store and we're going to have it in that store as well and we're going to have it in a i am very personal i have had the opportunities to have the tea in whole foods but for some reason or the other i just like to talk to my people about the tea or sell it to my local people so that they have a full understanding of how good the tea is and how healing it is to your body. And so therefore, remember I'm saying it's the heal teas, T-E-A-Z, <laughs> Haleen Green, the garden queen, Excellent. heal teas. Gratitude, Miss Haleen Green, so grateful for you. Um, everyone, please make sure to visit thegardenqueen.com and you can follow uh, all the great things that Miss Haleen is doing on her Instagram page, ATL Garden Queen. Miss um, Haleen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I thank you as well. And uh, to Georgia Organic and the conferences and all everywhere we go, to continue learning and producing and showing off our work in Atlanta. Thank you. Next up, I'm talking to Aaron Kroom and Chef Asita of Small Bites Adventure Club. Their work centers around education, young children, and healthy food. Creating future eaters and farmers and farmer supporters through our youngest generation. We had a great conversation around why this is such an important element of education for children, and also some of the pivots that they've made meeting the pandemic economy. All right, well, we are here on actually a lovely spring day outside, but via Zoom, so we're, we're enjoying it separately, but um, with Aaron Kroom, who is the co-founder and CEO of Small Bites Adventure Club as well as Chef Asita, who is the chef educator and also an author now, which we will talk about. So welcome y'all. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. And, you know, Erin, I can't help but to kick it off with talking about your sort of Georgia Organics origin story. Um, tell us a little bit about your involvement in Georgia Organics Farm to School program. Thank you. I finished my master's at University of Vermont uh, with a 
thesis concentration on farm to school. And so my next step was to find a job in farm to school. <laughs> and so I, we moved down to Atlanta and one of my first meetings was with Alice Rolls. And I asked her, could we start a farm to school program? I laid out the plan, all my research. And she said, well, I don't have any money to pay you, but I can print out these volunteer uh, cards for you and you can start a program in your free time. And so we worked together to build a program uh, over that first year. And I think it was 2007. And then we finally got some grant funding and I was able to come on full time. And we just grew the program with uh, so many amazing state partners over the next, well, it continues today. Continues, yeah, your legacy with Farm to School in Georgia. So thank you for that, for, for I don't know, establishing the roots of Farm to School, if you will, <laughs> here in Georgia. Well, let's get right down to it. Can you give us an overview of what is Small Bites Adventure Club? Small Bites Adventure Club is a woman-owned social impact venture, and our mission is to help children discover, love, and eat fruits and vegetables. We do that by creating and shipping really fun turnkey tools to homes and schools and after-school programs and childcare programs, and we create hands-on activities that make it really fun and easy for kids to connect with fruits and vegetables, to taste them, and to also connect with the farmers that grow their food in a really personable way. So we create monthly kits and we ship all across Georgia as well as all across the United States of America now. Wow, it's national, that's great. <laughs> Well, Chef Asatad, tell us a little bit about some of the, the you know, resources and recipes and things that, that you've developed as, as part of your work with Small Bites. What can kids get, kids and families get to enjoy? Uh, we have a wide range of activities and recipes that are based on produce from the local farms that we have relationships with. Um, but the way this all came about and was developed, and it just is a brilliant idea that Aaron had is, um, and actually I met Aaron through the work of Georgia Organics mm -hmm. and doing oh, farm that's school. Great. Yeah. So yeah. we were going school to school, nutrition training to nutrition training, conference to conference out here, like, you know, Bible something <laughs> about farm to school and how important it is with data and research. And, you know, everybody's all out in the trenches. Um, this box puts everybody in a kit. The teacher is in the kit. The chef mm -hmm. is in the kit. The farmer is in the kit. The recipe is in the kit. The learning activities are in the kit. She she even included a joke in every kit. I don't know how I we can keep vegetable jokes running, but <laughs> somehow they keep coming. We've got vegetables jokes in the kids. We've got learning standards in the kit. It's all mm -hmm. there because we can't be everywhere. And, yeah. you know, it was like a little tribe of people all running into each other at all the same conferences. This really streamlines the process. Yeah. So we have recipes from everything. Um, it, it rotates seasonally, like, you know, blueberries when they're in season, kale when it's in season, local apples, and the kids get to meet the farmers of all of these products through the box. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's incredible. I want you both to tee up a joke for the end of oh, no. this segment. That's your <laughs> challenge. And it can well, be... I, I don't know if we have any good vegetable jokes. Um, <laughs> may, maybe you could let us know if you think of any. <laughs> <laughs> let us. That's really great. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Where we... <laughs> Wow, that's great. Well, you know, what I'd really love to get to, I think it's such a fantastic resource that y'all are creating. Why do you do what you do? Like, what was the why? And, and like you're saying, Shabbatata, like, y'all were all crossing paths. You had these respective um, perspectives and skills and talents and, and connections. What was the why that brought it all together? 
For me, it was a perfect storm of being a new mom and having felt like, you know, I had this background in farm to school. I really, I had my, this really close connection with all the most recent research and evidence-based practices. And I was still struggling with my kids and getting them to eat fruits and vegetables. And I felt like if I was struggling, (laughs) then certainly lots of other parents and teachers were struggling as well. And we also heard a lot of this demand from the schools that we were going to. So when Asada would leave a classroom, we'd often get, you know, emails from parents that said, or, or teachers, how did you get my kids to eat this food? When can you come back? How are we supposed, what are we supposed to do next month? And it was really daunting to think about the number of kids in Georgia, the number of kids across the United States that, you know, needed to eat fruits and vegetables, teachers and parents that wanted to give them the tools. And there was just nothing in the marketplace that provided that. And we thought, you know, after extensively looking everywhere for these materials, we thought, well, we could do this. And this was something, you know, we were so fortunate to have the the Kellogg Foundation funding for early care in Georgia around building farm to early care with the youngest of children. And there was a real big focus on racial equity. There was a real big focus on how do you create replicable programs that, um, you know, actually put money in the pockets of farmers. And we thought we could take everything that we're doing and find a replicable way. And so we talked to Judith Winfrey, who um, is our co-founder and um, was the president of Peach Dish. And she knows how to put stuff in a box and ship it. And, and had, do it so well too, yeah. Right, and we had <laughs> Jenna, who is a certified educator. So we were kind of like, between the four of us, we have more experience. We probably had you know something like 80 years of experience between all of us around farm to school. And we thought we can figure this out if, if you know, we put it together. Yeah, I think I, I also came from a personal agenda. I mean, as someone who's worked with feeding kids, I have after school programs mm-hmm. and parents would literally chase me down in the parking lot. Like, how did you get them to eat that? And I, I promised them it's not magic. Um, <laughs> but I have three of my own and, you know, you think, oh, wow, you have a chef as a parent. No, they sit at the table and complain just like every other kid. And I know the food is good. So that's not the issue. It's just, yeah. you know, it is what it is, but connecting the farmers, connecting the kids, making sure that children know where their food comes from, making sure that yeah. they know how to feed themselves, making sure that they're stewards of the environment, that mm-hmm. they even have gratitude and appreciation for the people who make this food happen. All of that is really, really important to connect communities, to take the gaps out of our food distribution system that exists so that even people who grow the food get paid what they are worth. um, So that children grow up with an appreciation for caring for the environment that provides their food and the people who grow it. Um, This box does more than just do or the kits, actually, both of them, they, they do a lot more than just give your kids some entertainment. And I'm mm-hmm. always like amazed at the farm to home explorer kit, how much information is in there. It's like, yeah. by the time it's all said and done, and I see the finished product, I'm just like, wow, there's so much in here beyond activities. There's all kinds of just physical learning and emotional learning. And yeah. it's just so much in there that it's amazing that we get it all in that one little box. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I came to this from my own personal interest, both as a parent and then like Aaron, I'd done a master's in education connecting uh, nutrition inside of a, uh, from inside of a STEAM curriculum from pre-K to fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking at how we get food education into elementary schools and into these kids' lives where it's not separated out from their existence and from their Um, school. And so I also went on and got a master's in public health for curriculum, um, not curriculum, for um, 
something. I got a master's in public health, but it's really about <laughs> it's interventions and prevention. But this is an yeah. intervention strategy. This is catching mm -hmm. children at their youngest when they are sponges, when they're setting up life habits, when they're you know, developing literacy and math flow. Well, let's put nutrition in there too so that this isn't something outside of themselves. This is one of their yeah. core values. Yeah. So uh, let's see, a couple specific questions. When did y'all get started? with small bites is it established 2019 so okay what have y'all observed mm -hmm. in your respective work within education public health you know you reference steam learning um and food and do you see an increasing you know public awareness that food is a great education vehicle you know, y'all obviously see it and have built so much of your work around it. Is that catching on on a broader scale? I think we had a lot of traction during the Obama era, thanks mm -hmm. to Michelle Obama and like uh, programs like Chefs Move to Schools. Everybody yeah. had gardens and there was a lot of money flowing around to get a garden started and everyone's filling out grants and growing stuff like crazy. And then for those who were fortunate enough to participate in that era. And since mm -hmm. then, I think uh, people are learning that food is the perfect medium to bring even STEAM together, STEM and STEAM, because yeah. you, they learn in silos, but food crosses those silos and pulls it all back together. So here's yeah. your science, here's your math, here's your reading, and here it is on a plate. Here's your geography, here's your cultural appreciation, here's your environmental science, and here it is on a plate. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, food is definitely a, a magnificent medium to make learning relevant and real yeah. for kids. Yeah, well said. Erin, what are your thoughts there? I think I, one of my thoughts is in the last 10 years, at the same time that we're seeing a growth and understanding around farm to school and gardening, we're also seeing this tremendous growth, particularly in the last five years in the wellness industry and just billions of dollars in the wellness industry. But when you look at it, just a tiny sliver of that is actual uh, prevention work, you know, fruit and vegetable work, kids and gardening work. And people are really looking for this magic pill that makes you healthy, that um, makes you skinny or whatever, that makes you, um, resilient to disease. And bottom line is our country has to invest in real prevention and, and innovation around prevention. And I think that that's what we have been trying to do with this kit and that we are doing with this kit is we're getting people to think about um, different ways to invest in prevention uh, that can make a real difference at home and at school. And when we Think about what makes a difference. What, what is that magic pill is what Asta said. It's about getting kids those experiences when kids can taste it, when they can touch fruits and vegetables, when they can smell it, when they can meet the farmer. That is when you see those big changes to, well, maybe I'll try it. Well, I like that. Can I have that again? Can I have that out for dinner tonight? You're creating a demand through education and you're really you know, flipping what we really think of as food marketing, which has traditionally been fast food, processed food marketing to kids. What we're doing is we're marketing healthy food to kids, but we're not just saying food is nutrition and food is fuel, but we're saying food is fun. You know, food's exciting, food's adventurous. Food is part of the good life. Yeah. Join us. And that's so essential, right? Like this beautiful, vibrant, often colorful food, especially with children, it is fun and you can make it fun. And farmers are cool. You can grow up and be a farmer. Wouldn't exactly. that be cool? Yeah. And I think that that is some of the feedback, um, particularly I've been dealing with um, pre-K pre age a lot mm -hmm. um, with different projects. The feedback from the teachers is just that, like kids didn't know they could be farmers. Kids yeah. didn't know that that was a viable option. Um, kids, children just, there's a lot, you don't know what they don't know. And yes. then when they start exploring and get exciting about, getting excited about this stuff, 
um, I think it excites the teachers and even teachers are learning and they're tasting food that they've never tried before. Wow. And it's going home to the parents because there's a recipe card and a meet the farmer that goes home to the parents. So now the parents are involved and they're trying things that they've mm -hmm. never tried before. And some of the feedback that I've heard about the um, taste test kits is that the, the teachers love it. It saves them time and planning. A lot of people want to do farm to school or farm to ECE. They just don't know where to start. They have a full day. When are they supposed to add another hour in to get this done? This takes care of all of that. And yeah. they're able to share it not only with their students, but things go home with the parents. And so they're building bridges and family engagement. And it's literally having a trickle up effect. And that's yeah, what you want yeah. with any kind of intervention strategy is in, in health anyway, you want to see a triple trickle up effect. And that's what's happening. It's just yeah. great to finally start getting the feedback back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been out in the world and now people are kind of coming back and being like, this is essential to my farm to ECE program. Wow. Or this is essential to our farm to school program. And I just, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I want to, I want to segue shortly into some of the pandemic pivots that y'all have had to do, you know, as a small business. But before we do that, I'd love to just expand on that, Chef Asadal, what you were just saying about some of this feedback that you've heard. And, you know, you're starting to see, you you sowed the proverbial seeds and you're starting to see this impact. Like, what does that impact look like? And yeah, what does it look like? Erin, you've got some numbers, right? She's good with that. <laughs> Gotta have the numbers. The impact, let's see, we have served over 50,000 bites of fruits and vegetables Whoa. to kids in over 175 schools and clubs and early care programs. Yeah. Uh, we've been using the acronym ECE in this webinar, in this yes. interview, and that stands for Early Care and Education, which is yes. health care programs. Um, we've reached probably about 20,000 kids. Um, mm and we're just getting started. That's great, that's great. And just so folks know, what is the kind of age range for these, for these kits? Our school kits, our taste test boxes reach children ages four through 18. Okay. And our farm to home kits reach kids from four to 12. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. and, and adults. Uh, yeah, kids at heart as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. We get the the parents seem to love unpacking them more than the kids sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, all right, we'll talk. You know, it's it's so interesting, and I'd love to hear from y'all. You know, you have a business model that that would be. Um, let me think. I don't want to say optimal because no one has. Um, you know, the pandemic has certainly thrown a wrench in a lot of operations. But from my perspective, y'all do offer something, an educational resource that is by proxy great within a home environment. It doesn't have to be, you know, in a physical in-person school environment if those schools are closed. But I don't know, what is what has the pandemic overall looked like for y'all? And then I and then I'd love to expand into some of the things that y'all have done specifically. Well, we, in, in the pandemic, uh, I will say on, on March 11th, my biggest worry is that we didn't have enough local carrots to go in our kits. And on March 13th, obviously, uh, it, we didn't have anywhere to ship those kits. They were, wow. were sitting at the warehouse yeah. and we thought, well, what are we going to do? A hundred percent of our clients are no longer there they're just wow schools, yeah schools had all gone virtual so we got a great opportunity to um create and launch farm to home kits with mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. partner called daymaker yeah. and we were able to ship them and that means that uh, over seven thousand of these kits have been shipped out to kids in georgia and across the u.s to kids who, uh, you know, are at or below poverty level and mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily have high quality food and nutrition education tools sent directly to their home. 
So they have mm-hmm. access to the kits. They have videos of Asada teaching them like very basic, but incredibly important life skills, like mm-hmm. how to cut uh, fruits and vegetables, how to make a simple vinaigrette for your lettuce. Um, mm-hmm. Asada, you can talk a little bit more about some of those. Yeah, the farm to home explore kits are, are just chock full of resources for kids. And so uh, they, they get a tool each month um, that they can use. Like we're doing the lettuce knives uh, for a cut it up kit. It's all about knife skills. And that's something that will serve you all of your life, learning how to be competent and confident in the kitchen. Um, I teach virtual cooking classes for kids. And that's a big one for me. Get these basic skills down so that you can be confident and competent in the kitchen. Because as a health educator, I run into what happens with adults if you don't get these skills down. And you have people who just don't feel good cooking. They don't have a relationship with food. They don't have, you know, those are the folks who go to the farmer's market, buy all these gorgeous produce and then let it rot in their refrigerator because they don't feel good cooking. So I think it's awesome that we get to give these kids these life skills. Um, they get to taste something they may have never had before. Um, I know last month with those uh, collards and the vinaigrette that went with the collards, um, kids aren't going to eat. I mean, that was actually a uh, taste test kit. That wasn't that didn't go home, but the vinaigrette did, but the collards didn't. But we had kids eating raw collard greens, which is just something they would not have experienced and they were good. So then there was this demand, like, where did we get these collards? Well, they were locally grown. That's why they're good. They're not the big gigantic collards that have been sitting out in the field getting funky and full of sulfur. These were recently picked. <laughs> They've had a cold snap. So that's why they're so good. So it gives us opportunities to, you know, kind of go back over what's in the kit, revisit it again. And um, they, they have a long shelf life, not the perishable items inside of them, but the information, the resources, the links to videos, the, the tools that the kids use, the skills that they claim, these are things that they can practice over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess that that would be the interesting caveat to what I was saying earlier is, is you had the, the logistics to make this, to make this feasible, but it was still, I'm sure, a significant pivot, like you're saying right there around mid-March, Aaron, you know, with the logistics, which with finding the partner that you did. So hats off to y'all for, for really turning around and keeping going. Thank you. I will say it was a really important pivot for us because we were able to find a way to create these home kits and still serve children that yeah. are at and below the poverty line. I think we are a very mission-driven organization. And mm-hmm. a lot of people since we started kept asking us, well, why don't you have these kits for home? And mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't figure out how to create a kit for home that didn't just serve you know, families that could afford lots of things, yeah. uh, you know? So I, I think this opportunity really gave us uh, the, the resources that we needed to create it and pilot it. And, and now, you know, we have opportunities to sponsor kids and, and, and get out there. So I, th- I think that was, you know, really great, but boy, that was, that was an exciting time in the fall to <laughs> say, okay, guys, we got this opportunity. we got to launch these in two months, everybody. <laughs> Let's get our best ideas on the table. And it's a really incredibly fun brainstorming session where yeah. we just, I don't know, we can explore all these fun topics like you know, spices and connections to refugees. And I don't know, you can really Uh, make so many incredible connections to food and farming that we're able to explore a little bit more with these home kits. So that's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, A couple of things as we start to wind down that I'd love to mention. Um, I know we had been going back and forth, Erin, about like what to discuss today. And you had mentioned that there is a, um, a real giving back element um, lately, I think donating kits. Can you expand a little bit on that and talk about some of that work? Sure. We started a campaign in December with Health Empowers, mm-hmm. 
so that we had a local distribution point for, um, for kids. Uh, so families can donate $20 and that gift goes directly to Health Empower so that they can give a kit to a child in one of the communities that they serve. And oh, we've committed to sending them 600 kits wow. uh, over the next six months. And so they're uh, in month two. And the neat thing that they're doing is they're actually bringing them to seventh and eighth graders and they're teaching them how to use the kit. And so, you know, how to make the vinaigrette and then they go home and teach their younger sisters and brothers about it and other family members. So I love that. And Health Empowers yeah. does incredible work. And there's still opportunities to donate for that. Or if you have another community in, in mind that would like these kits, we can offer them at wholesale and work with you on branding to get them out to the communities that you'd like to see them in. That's excellent. And we'll be sure to mention that in the show notes as well. Before we wrap up and share how people can connect with y'all, is there any anything else you'd want to share? Make sure folks know about your work in general or during the pandemic. I'll do a plug. Um, during the oh, pandemic, yes, I was able to um, self-publish my first book. It's called How to Feed a Kid. How to Feed a Kid. Great. And it has a lot of the tips that come from just this professional work that we do, being with and feeding children all the time. Um, it also has tips just from being a parent and kind of being in those trenches for the last 16 years. Mm -hmm. And it has some tips that are um, from the research that um, I did uh, on picky eating. I did my mm -hmm. thesis on the sort of the unraveling the myth of picky eating as it exists as a 20th century phenomenon here in the West. But anyway, yeah. so the 21st there's a lot century of stuff. Yes, it's 21st great. century <laughs> But anyway, there's a lot of tips in here, not just for parents, but for people like us who also work with feeding children um, yeah. and knowing why kids do what they do. We go inside yeah. the kids' heads and kind of like reveal it to the parents and to the adults. Like, this is what you're up against. This isn't someone who's just rebelling against your food. This is mm -hmm. someone going through developmental issues or someone who's got a whole nother agenda that you don't know about. So yeah. That's fantastic. Congratulations on, on that huge accomplishment. And, you know, as I mentioned before, we'll be sure to share, you know, some additional information on that so folks can connect with and, and hopefully get a copy there. That's, that's fantastic. And an event a, coming up in March, Erin, you want to talk about the Science Fest? I will, but I also just want to say I am halfway through the book. It's incredible. I wish I'd had that book five years ago, six years ago. It's just the best. Everybody needs to get it. Oh, thank you. So, love I love it. it. Rave review. Um, yes, we've got an event on March 21st with the Atlanta Science Festival. And we're doing a special seed power kit. So folks need to purchase that by March 15th. So we can get Great. that out. Um, so that'll be super fun. We're going to be at the Atlanta Education Expo and the Georgia Farm to School Summit, which is coming yes. up in April. So yeah. lots of fun events coming up. Very fun. And I'll, again, I'll make sure we link to those items. I know the Atlanta Science Festival always has the coolest the programming. Best. It's so it's, cool. It's always a good time. Yeah. And they do a great job too. Like, you know, there's always uh, talks about soil and, and yeah, food and STEM and STEAM. So that, that's a great plug and, and we'll make sure to connect people to that. Well, how can folks um, connect with both Small Bites Adventure Club and with, with y'all and your work? I know Chef Asta, you've got a lot of resources and videos um, and everything. So give us, the, give us the rundown. How can folks find you? Um, well, you can find me um, at Chef Asita at um, Instagram or Facebook. Um, also have a YouTube channel that is just cluttered. So, but you can find some videos and resources there. Um, but also on YouTube, that's like where all of the Small Bites videos are. So you can like go down the rabbit hole of farm tours, food exploration, reading just all things um small bites over there recipes little demos cooking with kids the abc series all of that is over there um on youtube as well yep and you can go to 
smallbites.club to order kits and we'll give you a special code if you use explore. Uh, we'll give you 20% off your first subscription order. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Small Bites Club. We'd love to see you there. That's great. And I just can attest that as someone who is, I guess, not necessarily a child, but a child at heart and also loves good recipes, I had a blast watching your videos, Chef Asada, from this past Farm to School month when we were doing turnip. Turn up oh, the volume. Turn up the volume. Turn yeah. up the volume. Can you dig it? <laughs> and those recipes were so great. And they were, you know, again, like all ages, but but you did such a good job of, of, of getting a younger audience really engaged with the food and thinking about it. Sensory. Where did it come from? So... I'm sure that applies to, to everything that y'all offer. So thank you for the, the amazing work that you're doing. And I'm so excited to see future generations of Georgians have a, have a newfound love of the beautiful food that we grow here and yeah. beyond. Thank you. I think our, our goal is to be accessible. Yeah. That's really a big focus, to be accessible. Yeah. Well, thank y'all so much. I appreciate your time today and being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's our show for today. On behalf of George Organics, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Atlanta Foodcast. Be sure you subscribe and stay tuned because we'll be back in another two weeks. If you want to read more about the Atlanta Foodcast and the guest on our show, visit atlfoodcast.com. To learn more about Georgia Organics and become a member, visit georgiaorganics.org. Thanks for joining us. This is your reminder to eat well and stay local.